All right, folks, you are listening to the Shai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. And I am right now standing in the shell of my sukkah as it's being taken apart. And there's only a remnant left of this beautiful, fun sukkah that was a place um, that my family lived in and slept in and ate in for the last week. And so to all the Jewish people. And as I open up my sukkah, I see beyond it the mountains of Judea. Uh, and there's something, um, there's something a little bittersweet, as usual, bittersweet about the end of Sukkot. There's always somebody, one of the family, kids, though somebody's going to be crying. And that's because uh, there's no j- more joyous holiday than Sukkot in the Jewish people. And not just Sukkot, Sukkot caps off uh, a long litany of celebrations and and high holidays. I think I think the term high holidays, which is uh, I'm not familiar that we have that in Hebrew, but I think it's actually quite accurate. I think it's quite accurate. Uh, we call it Yamim Noraim, the you know the days of awe. But I like high holidays because it really includes Rosh Hashanah, getting ready for Rosh Hashanah. First thing, it really starts all the way in Elul. It starts all the way in the month of Elul and preparing uh, for 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 spiritual growth. And, and that's what we did. We prepared for spiritual growth. In the month of Elul, we learned Torah. We started repenting. We started hearing shofar. Once you already like, hear that first shofar blast, you're already like, okay, you're in the zone. So it went from uh, Elul to Rosh Hashanah. Then uh, there's intermediary days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the, the so-called 10 days of repentance. Um, and that includes Shabbat Shuva, which is a kind of a very holy Sabbath. And then comes Yom Kippur, and you putting it, you you really ring out your soul. And uh, the the Torah's phraseology is uh, that you're supposed to kind of like the word inui could be like the word torture. But what it means, I think, is is actually quite simply like laundry, like like dirty laundry. You got to scrub it, and you scrub your soul. Which, if you think about it, is a little bit of a type of waterboarding, right? You're waterboarding the the clothes a little bit. You're 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 rubbing them and you're pouring water on them, and uh, so too in the soul. It, you basically, you exert yourself. That's that's Yom Kippur. It's an exertion of the soul past its its regular limits, uh, and and you come out of Yom Kippur feeling just high and pure and clean, and then immediately. And the custom is to immediately that very night to begin the preparation of the sukkah. Some of us already start beforehand because there's so much work to do, especially this year, the way it lined up with the Sabbath, Shabbat and stuff. And we prepared for, for, for Sukkot. And for me, that means bringing up all these board pieces and lining them up. And it's, you know, I still have like blisters on my fingers from all that work. And, uh, and, and then decoration uh, and making that beautiful. Um, which is a, a process that involves the children as well. Yeah, and the children, that's a big part of everything, isn't it? Uh, Sukkot is, is as much as for the grown-ups and the joy, as much as it is for the kids. And then there's the purchase of the lulav and etrog, the four species. And there is uh, uh, the building of the sukkah and the decorating of the sukkah. And my kids were involved this year in every part of it. Um, and 
and then they, there begins the concerts, events, Simchat Beit HaShovan, Sukkot. And you got the first holiday of Sukkot. Then you got the intermediary days. Where do you go? What are you going to do this, this Chag? Where, where, which places are you going to check out? Uh, you know, and then for me, there's like people coming into Hebron and they, they want a tour. And, and, and you end up, just like the Gemara says, you end up barely sleeping on Sukkot. And when you do sleep, for those of us who sleep in the Sukkah, most of us like to sleep in the Sukkah here and outside of the, uh, inside the land of Israel, outside the land of Israel, depending where you are. Also, Chabad, for example, does not. But the majority of people in the, the plain halacha is that you do sleep inside the Sukkah. Um, and we sleep inside the Sukkah, and it's just amazing. It's like a family time, and sometimes we watch movies together in the Sukkah, and certainly we sing songs and do all this stuff. Uh, and then, but it doesn't, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there because it's not like okay, Sukkot and it's over. No, second to the last day of Sukkot, there's Hoshana Rabbah, which is this like very holy night. And in Jerusalem, the streets are flooded with people. And 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 Shacharit, the early uh, Vatikin, the 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 sunrise uh, prayer, uh, the Minyan at uh, at the Kotel is packed with like thirty, forty thousand people. And it's a night of like of like staying up all night and learning. Um, and it's a very powerful uh, and religious moment. It's supposed to be the the final seal, the pit katava, the good note, the good kvittel, the good note that 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 the angels go out with. And you gotta, you can still change the note that the angels have. Kind of that's the that's the lore behind it. And so, and and that's shmini that's Shmi, uh, that's Hoshana Rabbah. Here where I live, we went to Rabbi Shlomo Katz's incredible. A minion of musical Hallel uh, in the morning on Hoshana Rabbah. I, I still remember the tunes. Did he die? Lie, la, la, lie. Did he die? Lie, la, la, lie. Did he die? Lie, la, 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 lie. And just great stuff with, uh, with, with music. And you got the lulav and etrog, and you're shaking it. And the kids are shaking it. The wife is shaking it. Everybody's doing, you know, this, this thing and calling down for, for, for rain and for prosperity and for, for, and for health and the whole thing. Uh, and that's and and then you're like, okay, it's done. No, you say goodbye to the sukkah. You say goodbye to the sukkah. And again, I'm walking in the skeleton of my sukkah right now as I'm recording this. You say goodbye to the sukkah, and then you go into Simchas Torah, which is the holiday that which is which is a mixed holiday because the, the 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 biblical day is called Shmini Atzeret, the eighth day stoppage. But we as Jews know that that eighth day stoppage is the day to celebrate the Torah. And and you actually just go crazy and dance and drink and and celebrate and you dance at night seven circle seven cycles and in the morning seven cycles and it goes for hours and you, kids get candy and everybody's just having a blast, um, uh, you know in my circles and and in, like from America and Russia the uh, tradition is to also drink not uh, not 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 anything excessive of course but uh, to loosen up uh, and have some fun. This year, uh, Simchas Torah was one of my like most special Simchas Torah of all time, and that was uh, uh, on the Arugot farm with Ari and Jeremy. Uh, and what, what a magical, magical time we had there. It's just hard to describe, and it's going to be something that takes me the whole year through, the whole year through. It's just the beauty of the land, the beauty of the people, the, the, the authenticity, the simplicity. People were camping. I was staying at Ari's house, uh, which was just gorgeous. And just uh, what, what, a, what a feeling uh, of, of, of being united with the land, united with great people, uh, united with the Torah. It just, 
that was uh, that was Shmini Yatzeret or or Simchas Torah, um, including that Jeremy woke me up uh, at approximately five in the morning so that at five thirty we could go out and and pasture the sheep. Literally, we pastured the sheep. I she I herded sheep like on 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 Shmini Yatzeret in the morning on, on Simchas Torah. That. Ladies and gentlemen, is is a rarity. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a rarity, uh, and an amazing thing. And we saw the sunrise over the Dead Sea. Forget about it. Forget about it. I was like, uh, it was just. <laughs> and you know, if the truth is, is I'll tell you uh, candidly that I've had a lot of Simchas Torahs where I haven't felt so in the right place, so properly connected. And this was just um, a tikkun fixing for 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 all of that. Uh, so that was at Ari and Jeremy's, and it was it was really really awesome. And then you're like, "That's it! I am completely knackered. I am finished. I am completely done with this. All these holidays. Just let the kids go back to school." Then at nighttime, after you've partied for a night and a day on, on Simchas Torah, there's this thing called Hakafot Shniot, the second dancing Hakafot, last like last last licks, crazy dancing. This year went down to Chabad. Had a big event in Hebron in Marat Machpelah, the Chabad of Hebron, and 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 you know we just they had a rocking musician. You could see some of those videos on my YouTube and on my Facebook, and 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 again just like like from all over the country came these Chabadnikim for a kafot shniot for second dancing in Hebron. It was it was magical. It was magical, and then and then finally when it's all done and you're spent, spent, spent. You come back to the sukkah, and, you, and if you did it right, you're not even going to cry. You want to cry, but you're not going to cry when you're taking apart your sukkah because you feel like you did it so fully. You did it so fully. You really, you, really, you really did this month. And this is the month. This is our holy month. This is our Ramadan, if you will, okay? This is the month where we just, we just, we, and, 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 and that's supposed to bring you to a spiritual place, which is, which is just so so far above where you were before and you're going to feel it and it's going to walk you for the rest of the year it's going to walk with you for the rest of the year at the same time uh, during Sukkot on Shabbat we're supposed to read Ecclesiastes Kohelet and we read it and it's actually a depressing book and even the rabbis themselves the sages uh, were uh, not sure if it should be included in the canon it was written by King Solomon King Shlomo but they weren't sure that it should be included in the canon and why not? Well, because it has in it phrases that seem to say that there's no difference between good and bad, acting good and bad, that, 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 that God created a kind of punishment when he created this world, that, that, that really, it's not really clear what the difference between, you know, what's the point of it all is really the, uh, an underlying message in the book. And that's a very, very, very problematic and very not Jewish, not usually Jewish kind of outlook. And yet it's got a kind of um, stoicism in it. Um, and, and it's maybe, maybe, maybe an apt title would be the Jewish Book of Stoicism. Um, and that's not always, that's not exactly the uppity, that's not the stuff that you're going to hear on this show so much, although I, I do believe in an element of stoicism uh, emotionally about things in, in some way. But, but, but the bottom line is that you read that in the middle of Sukkot, you're like, What? Uh, and, and, you know, remember that song, Sunrise, Sunset, Sunrise, Sunset. What, what is that about? It, it, it's also 
Kohelet's got an element of that, where it's like there's a time for war and a time for peace, a time to throw rocks, a time to gather rocks, a time to build, a time to destroy. That's from, remember the Yardbirds? To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season. That is actually a paraphrasing uh, and, and, and direct quotes from, in English anyway, from, uh, from, from, from Kohelet Ecclesiastes. Why would we read that on Sukkot? Uh, because, and he, here's my, my chidush on that, because there's an element of Sukkot which is um, nostalgic. Because even with the joy, there's something about that great joy which you just see your children growing, you see yourself getting a little bit older, you see that life goes on, and there's something, it's tad, and I don't let myself, of course, get into it too much, but a little bit of bittersweet, and I think that's what Kohelet's about, like life, there's something about life, and it keeps going, and it keeps, and it keeps you know, life keeps happening kind of uh, against our will. Against our will, we'll be judged, and against our will, we'll, we'll be born, and against our will, we will die, and, and all that. So the point is, is that there's an element of bittersweet. And, and the reason that I mention that today is because uh, for me, uh, this Simchat Torah was the highest of the high, and yet somewhere in the middle of the prayers... I had a feeling, a clear feeling, that my great and beloved and esteemed rabbi, Rabbi Moshe David Tendler, Rabbi Tendler, or what we used to call, his students call him, Rebbe, uh, passed away. Uh, I knew that right before the holiday, uh, his situation was getting worse. And in the middle of prayer, I just said to myself, Rebbe passed away. And then I said to myself, you do not know that, sir. I said this to myself in conversation. And then I said to myself, but yes, I do. Rebbe passed away. And I let it pass because I was having fun. Uh, but, sat, but, but after the ho- holiday, when I turned on the phone, uh, within minutes, uh, the message came through. that Rabbi Tendler had indeed passed away. Rabbi Moshe, David Tendler. Moshe, in many ways, was who he was. He was really a Moses to us. And so it wasn't a coincidence that he passed away. When I say us, by the way, I mean people like my own brother, my brother Josh Fleischer, a great videographer, and my uh, one of my rabbis and friends, Rabbi um, Shimshon Akoy Nadel. And so uh, Rabbi Tendler died uh, on the day that we read about Moses' death. Mo- he died on the very day that we read about uh, that Moses passes away. And so... Um, that's so fitting because he was like a Moses to us in so many ways. And I'd like to tell you just a little bit about him and his life. All right, folks, I'm back uh, and I've left my sukkah and now I'm actually in my office in Hebron. I have an office in Hebron. That is pretty cool on its own, isn't it? That's just cool. <laughs> that is just cool destiny and, uh, and a gift of life to have the schut of uh, being closer to the forefathers and mothers uh, and working in Hebron to try to make this place more beautiful and better uh, and stronger and more Jewish, all that. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. I'm just fiddling with my AC here, which is having a little bit of problems because you can't have everything in the world, right? You can't have it all. Let's just see if it's blowing cold air. Is it even doing anything, this thing? Anyway, uh, now I wanted to just take a few minutes and tell you about Rabbi Tendler because uh, I think it's worth it. It's worth it to, to, to hear it out, and you know, and, and if, if it's not interesting to you, at least you'll think to yourself, 
that you let Yishai get it off his chest and uh, and uh, feel the feelings because he will be buried. As I'm recording this right now, he will be buried uh, in just about uh, uh, seven hours from now uh, in the afternoon in the United States. Uh, just very quickly, Rabbi Moshe David Handler is the son uh, from a rabbinic family. His father was a rabbi, and so on and so forth. Basically, all the generations that they know have been rabbis, and most likely is that they've been rabbis since the time of Sinai, just straight on. And that's very important because you will meet a lot of great rabbis, but a rabbi after rabbi after rabbi after rabbi, there's something about it which you always felt with Rabbi Tandler, which was that, and this was my line, I coined it many years ago, uh, and people have liked it, and the line is, <clears throat> Rabbi Tandler doesn't teach you Torah, he teaches you Mesora. And by that I always meant that you felt in that classroom that he wasn't teaching you from the book or from the Talmud even, but rather like the Talmud was just a guidepost for the real life of Judaism. And he was involved in everything from botany. Oh, the, the other thing about Rabbi Tendler that you have to understand is that while he was a great rabbi type, he was also a scientist and himself got a degree in microbiology at Columbia University uh, when he was young, and became a rabbi and a doctor, and soon afterwards became basically an expert in medical ethics and in, and in uh, uh, all issues, basically science and halakha, but especially medical issues. And so you dealt with a rabbi who was a nice rabbi, but he was very much also a scientist, and you just lived with a man who was a scientist and a rabbi at the same time. Um, he worked for Hoffman LaRoche, LaRoche, and, uh, and, and made some kind of cancer drug. And that cancer drug in the 60s, uh, he had a patent on it. And it actually paid him throughout his whole life the patent on that drug. And the reason that's important is because he was able to not take any money from his synagogue. So he was the head of a synagogue. He was a scientist. He was a rabbi. And he was also a teacher at Yeshiva University all those years in bioethics, daily Talmud, uh, and biology, and 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 also taught classes on things like nida. He was an expert on on women's menstruation, colors, and all the issues that have a lot to do with family purity, family life. In any case, uh, that was the kind of man that he was, um, and he had also a great sense of humor, uh, a real old school type of sense of humor, because he was also on top of all those things an old school New Yorker from the Lower East Side. Um, and Rabbi Tendler, uh, his, um, his gestures were always so meaningful because, for example, if he hadn't seen you in a long time, he would give you a kiss or he'd grab your hand, put it to his cheek, and you could feel his wiry beard uh, and would kiss your hand and things like that if you were close to him. Um, and he was, for example, a, um, uh, 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 what's it called, a... Uh, he, he, what's it called when you when you when you when you're when you have a status at the police? He was a chaplain for the police, and he had official status as as like a police chaplain in his county, and so that opened a lot of doors for him. And he he would just use that whenever there was emergencies. He would use that, you know, get the get, get a uh, uh, a police escort or 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 you know get out of things because like he was on real official police business. Um, uh, that's just an example. He had a, a Gentile, a Goy, uh, a non-Jew, uh, who he would have a very good relationship with, and he would personally sell his community's chametz to. 
And he would explain to us, like, you have to be a real sale. So at every one of these real sales of chametz, he would give his friend a, a bottle of one of the whiskeys or whatever so that he would understand that he really owns it now. Little practical things. Uh, for Malka, for my wife Malka, he showed her how to cut chicken properly. He showed her what, what, is, what, what is good chicken and, you know, what are the good parts and bad parts, where the blood still can be, what should be cut out. And his hands were these, and that's one thing, I'm, I don't know, I, I like to look at people's hands. His hands were the, are strong hands, the hands of a worker person. Um, so so a, lot of, a lot of rabbis, they, uh, you know, retire at, the, at age 70, 75 and move down to Florida. Rabbi Tendler continued to teach at Yeshiva University till just a few months ago, and, and, and he was well into 95, I think. 95 or 96, and he taught all the stuff that I said before he, that he would teach, bioethics, biology, rabbinics, all kinds of stuff like that, and, and daily Talmud, which I was in his class. Uh, and I was in other rabbis' classes until I found him, and then that was, uh, that was, that was going to be it for me. We found somebody that, that was going to touch us for the, for the rest of our life. Uh, and my brother got, I was able to bring my brother into Rabbi Tendler, uh, and uh, his life was completely changed by, by it as well. So we're talking about a person who, who taught us how to make matzah. He would take us down to the bakery. And I'm going to put up uh, a story that I wrote about, uh, um, about Rabbi Tendler, which is called Matzah. And I'm going to put that up. Uh, and that's a tribute story to, to who, he was, who he is and his personality. But he took us to this factory and he showed us he would lower the oven temperature. He said 1,400 degrees is too high. If you bake it at that, then it gets crispy on the outside, but inside it remains chametz. And he would say things like, the most dangerous night for chametz in Pesach is the first night where you eat matzah shmura. That's the most dangerous one of them all. Even though it's considered the, the highest matzah, it's actually the most likely to be chametz. So he explained that to us. Um, and he would lower it to 800 degrees, and he would show us how to check it. And he knew how to build a mikvah, and he knew... The whole, the whole combination of science uh, and Torah and halacha. And interestingly, he loved Medrash, and he would understand Medrash to, to give great meanings to things. So what can I tell you, friends? It's, uh, you know, if you didn't see it, you would hardly believe it. It's really a person who combined all the issues of family uh, and Torah and, and that kind of like Jewish life, at the same time with a very modern sense and sensibility, uh, of of and he would always read all the journals, and I oh you know what I'm just a little bit emotional so I guess it's a bit disjointed. But one more thing I want to tell you is that um, one of my most striking striking memories of Rabbi Tendler, Rabbi Moshe David Tendler, was that when uh, one time he said to me, "Ishai, come with me uh, down, come with me down to my office after class. I want you to see something." So we go down to his office, and he has. Uh, a phone, but the phone had a special button. It was old type of phone, but the button would make it so that the it was like a speaker phone on his on the phone hook. And anyway, you could hear it much louder because he always had some some hearing issues, so you could hear it much louder. So we went down to to his office and he picked up the phone and he dialed basically his like answering service. And basically, they have there was voice messages, and he had a pad open, and in that pad he would write down the messages. And here's what the messages were like. Hello, uh, Rabbi Tendler. My name is Allison from Australia. Uh, my husband was uh, in a car accident three weeks ago. 
the doctors say that he is a brain dead and they want to take him off life support. Uh, should we do it? Please call me back at this number. And they would say the number twice, he would write it down. Next, he, uh, somebody would be like, uh, Rabbi Tendler, uh, um, you know, should we donate my you know, son's organs to this or that? Uh, the, this situation, the organ donation questions, brain death questions, uh, horrible cancer questions, issues, which doctor, what should I do? How do I keep Shabbos? Should I fly this, that, you know, this medicine, that medicine? He would write down all the stuff, and I was I was in shock. I was in shock when I realized the the level of 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 issues he was dealing with. He was not dealing with you know as this chicken kosher. He was dealing with life and death issues. People calling this rabbi Yeshiva University because they're somewhere in Australia or in Arizona, who knows where, and they need an answer to what to do with their loved one with their child, with their husband, with their mother, who, you know? And it was just like, I, I, I'm telling you, I was, I, I, I remember sitting there being in total shock because just 30 minutes beforehand, he was, you know, teaching us, uh, you know, so some, uh, some Talmudic Masechet and we were talking about something or, 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 uh, or asking questions, maybe even laughing. And then, and then he went downstairs and dealt with these life and death issues and he took it so seriously. And he gave people something that they need. Do you know what people need in those moments? They need a helping hand. They need guidance. They need to have faith in somebody and trust. They also need dignity. And he was able to give people dignity at that, uh, at that tough moment. And I never looked at him the same. I never looked at him the same uh, after understanding what he really was dealing with. Uh, the other thing that's very important to know about Rabbi Tendler, and maybe this is the last thing I'll talk, talk about on the show today, is that he um, was uh, the son-in-law of Rav Moshe Feinstein. And because he was the son-in-law of Rav Moshe Feinstein, and he was close to one of the great halachic deciders, decisors, uh, whatever it's pronounced, whatever it's called, uh, Posek, Posekador, Rav Moshe Feinstein, the Rav, uh, uh, the Posek. And the, he, the Rav Moshe Feinstein is the famous author of a book of responsa called the Igrot Moshe, or the Igros Moshe, the Igrot Moshe. Rabbi Tendler was the editor and, and medical assistant and advisor to the Igrot Moshe. And so the real famous writing uh, of Rav Moshe Tendler. He has a few books out, but his real famous writing is helping the Igrot Moshe, the Igris Moshe. And that anybody in the halachic world knows that this is considered one of the most important and central books of our time about dealing with, with serious issues, with Rav Moshe Feinstein level issues. So when, when we bury today Rav Moshe David Tendler, we're, we're in a way bearing the legacy of, uh, of Rabbi Feinstein, and it is not surprising to me that Rabbi Tendler will not be buried here in Eretz Yisrael today, but rather in Muncie, New York, alongside of his beloved wife, Tzipora, uh, Tzipi, who he loved incredibly a lot and was the daughter of Moshe Feinstein. And when she passed away, and I remember that well, of course, that was a, that was a, he kept going, but that was, a, um, that was a different hymn from there on end. And I am... I want to tell you that I myself am broken up about it in the sense that I will miss him and he was a big part of my life. And when somebody that you love so much passes away, it's like a little piece of you passes away. 
on some level. But the truth is, inside, inside, I am so happy, so happy that I got to know a man like this, that I got to be uh, touched physically and emotionally by a man like this in life. What I mean, you know, he he would hold my hand, you know, just, just in fact, in fact, in fact, uh, on Harabite, of course, he also was a Temple Mount goer and, and, and promoted that widely. Uh, he would lean on me and lean on, on my friends and, and also on my brother and also uh, Rabbi Shimshon Nadel, who's one of his top students and a good friend of mine. Uh, I'm just so happy that he got that I got to be part of his life, and I'm happy for him because very few people in this world have that level of self-actualization. Very few people have been editors of the Igrot Moshe, have been married and, and, and raised so many children, great great uh, grandchildren and great grandchildren, and I think even great great grandchildren um, uh, that are following in the ways of the Torah, teaching until the age of ninety five. Uh, uh, patents uh, in life-saving medicine, helping thousands and thousands of people with their hard questions. Not a lot of people in this world got to ha- get to have that kind of merit. So uh, with that, I want to thank Hashem. Thank you, Hashem, for uh, giving us a person like Rabbi, Rabbi Moshe David Tendler, and thank you so much for letting us uh, be, be in, uh, in proximity to a man such as he. It is no coincidence, no coincidence at all, that he died on uh, Shemini Atzeret, which is the day that here in Eretz Yisrael we read about the death of Moses. That's right, it's the death of Moses. Moshe David Tendler uh, and his death um, of, of, of our great teacher Moses, it's not a coincidence at all. And in my heart I knew that he would pass on this day. Um, I didn't know it beforehand, but right before the Chag they, they told us that his situation was getting worse. And some 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 point in shul, I really just felt that uh, my master, I would say, right, my rebbe, uh, passed away, and um, and so it was. But inside, I am really, really happy. That's right. And I think that when you when a man like that passes away from this world, you should be so thankful and happy that uh, that you had a chance to be part of his life. All right, we're going to take a tiny little break, and I'll be back with just a few words about the Torah portion. All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show, and I do want to thank the folks that make this show happen, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, Yocheved, and Moshe, Moshe Herman, my man, uh, and also my friend Lou, who helps us out on the live stream. And I really want to thank you guys for being out there and for uh, your your help and, and your, your dedication and taking time out to listen to the show, and I hope we keep it entertaining and strong for you. Uh, please check out all my work at ishaifleischer.com. Uh, of course, donations are uh, uh, welcome, and also dedications are welcome. And you can dedicate uh, a show to a loved one um, and um, be part of our programming because we're putting out a lot of stuff. And I'm also doing real stuff on the ground. That's always part of the life is uh, is making real stuff happen on the ground. Um, and I want to thank some of our uh, shows. Uh, when I say on the ground, I mean to say beautification of Kevrut Vishai and other projects that we have uh, around the country in order to strengthen uh, the Jewish people. And also, I'm able to get money to, to places uh, that really need help in developing and educating uh, Jewish people's rights in the land of Judea. So let me know if you want to be part of that. Write me an email, yishaiyishaifleischer.com. Thank you to some of the sponsors of our show, including a good friends at uh, Prohibition Pickle, which are putting out Yum Yums. Uh, and Chaim is doing great stuff out there, making Ashkenazi food awesome again. Um, 
And so bringing Ashkenaz into the land of Israel, and even Sephardi Jews are loving it as well. Uh, I myself am, uh, love pickles and salami and all that. And if you have somebody here in Israel that you want to send a package to, uh, please do so uh, through going to uh, either the Facebook or the Instagram of Prohibition Pickle, which is uh, found in, in Gush Etzion in Judea, but, but delivers all around the country. I want to thank also the Jewish Press and JewishPress.com. They do a great job. One of my favorite emails out there is JewishPress.com, uh, the Jewish Express. Check it out. And of course, uh, the heart of it all for me is uh, Hevron, the Jewish community of. And you can strengthen the forefathers and mothers who are buried here by going to HebronFund.org. H-E-B-R-O-N-F-U-N-D.org. HebronFund.org. Uh, I just want to say one little bit of Torah. We are entering... The great and mighty Torah portion of Bereshit. We can also call it the Big Bang. I think maybe I've had a show other years where I just called this Torah portion the Big Bang. And that's what it is. The Big Bang theory is uh, Parshat Bereshit. It is the Big Bang of everything. It's the, it's, it's the explosion of God, God's revelation to this world. It's really the explosion of us as, as co, co-actors in, in a world that God created uh, co-creators, co-producers, yet we are still the produced, yet he's given us some of his power to produce and to be creative and to speak and to understand. That's an amazing thing. Um, and the Torah portion of Bereshit, the foundation of the world, uh, is an incredible, an incredible thing. I heard something that it's very important for me to say, which is uh, Rabbi Eric Levy explains that the Torah portion of Bereshit cannot be understood as a scientific text or a historic text. For one very simple fact, it's written schematically. The creation of the world is written schematically. What do I mean by that? Day one relates to day four. Day two relates to day five. Day three relates to day six. And so, you know, uh, Earth is created uh, on day uh, one and on day four. Um, excuse me. Actually, don't let, don't let me make a mistake. I want to say that properly, so let me say that again. Sorry, sorry. I wanted to say like this. Day one, God creates the, the firmament and separates between kind of the, the, the parts of the heaven. And so in day four, he puts in the heavenly bodies, right? Uh, so there's the, there's the sky the first day. And then on the fourth day, there is um, the stars and, and the sun and the moon. Uh, and in the second day, uh, he separates between the waters, right? And then on day four... No, on day five, excuse me, so I get confused about the stuff. Uh, what, guess what he puts in? Uh, he puts in a fish and the stuff that comes out of the fish, which is the birds. Uh, and, and that's true, I think, uh, in terms of science, in terms of evolution. Uh, and in day three, uh, God, uh, God, let me see it here. Uh, he finishes off that splitting of the, of the waters uh, and he makes land. He separate, finishes separating the water, he makes the land. That's why, by the way, there's no Kitov on the second day, but there's two Kitovs on the third day, because the work of the second day was so big that it was completed on the third day, but, he, but on the third day he creates land, and guess what? On the sixth day he creates animals and mankind, the pinnacle of creation. What does that all mean? It just means that it's written in a way to tell you God took the world and made it in steps. He created first the vehicle for the things, and then he created the things themselves. And so the Torah portion is written schematically, and there may be scientific and historical truths in it, but there's, it's also written in a way to tell you a narrative, to tell you a, a religious, spiritual uh, uh, um, lesson. And that's very important to understand about the, about the first six days of creation. Uh, the other thing is I want to tell you something from myself. 
and I'm going to I'm going to challenge you on one of the most famous verses. We all know the verse of Ayeka, right? We all know that God says, "Where, where are you, man?" When man goes and hides um, in the uh, in the trees of the Garden of Eden, um, and God says to you know, and he hides after eating from the uh, tree of knowledge, good and bad. Um, but there's another way to read all these verses. And I gave a big class about this. This was only one out of three verses that I talked about on Shabbat, uh, of verses that you could read two ways. And here's the verse. And God, Hashem God called out to man, and He says, where are you? And ostensibly, it's Adam who says, I heard Adam says, I heard your voice walking in the in the um in the gun or in the gun in the in the in the in the garden and I saw that I was naked so I hid. Vayomer and seemingly now Hashem will say, Mi gid lecha ki Who said that you're naked? Did you eat from the tree that I told you commanded you not to eat? Now my alternative reading to this is the following. God called out to man, and he said to him, Where are you? And then he says, God continues, says, I heard your voice hiding, you were hiding in the garden. I heard your voice in the garden. I saw that I was naked. God says, I saw that I was naked. I saw that I was naked and I hid from you. Who's the real hidden one in this world, ladies and gentlemen? Is it Adam and Eve? The real hidden one is God. What does that mean that God saw that he was naked? He saw that you looked at him differently after you ate from the tree of knowledge, good and bad. You looked at him differently, so God hid himself. He didn't want to be seen that way. He changed the way uh, uh, the way you looked at him. Now it's changed his appearance to you, and he is ashamed. He is hidden from us. Before that, before that, a- Adam and Eve saw God. They saw him regularly uh, uh, in their life. What really changed at the Garden of Eden is that God is the one who hid. And then, after I gave this, this class the first time, my good friend Baruch Brenner said to me, well, if you're, ready, if you're ready saying that, then add another part, which blew my mind. And he said, this famous word that we know called Ayeka, where are you, can be read a little bit differently. Let's do it again. Verse, chapter 3, verse 9. Vaikra Hashem Elohim and God, uh, and Hashem God called and Hashem God called out to man and he said where are you but it could be read like this Hashem God called man and man said back to him where are you where are you Hashem you're the one who's hidden I, I hear you calling to me but I can't see you the famously Ayeka is like when God says to man where are you and yet it could be read exactly backwards when, when man says to Hashem where are you? You're, you're hidden now. We don't see you. And then Hashem explains, well, you know, I heard, I, I saw that I was naked because you changed. And so I hid from you. And that's why you can't see me anymore. That's the big change. We can't see God. But he is indeed everywhere. The Torah portion of Bereshit is very powerful. Um, and it, it, has, it contains in it really the Big Bang theory secrets of, of the world. Um, and there's so much more to, to talk about the creation of the world. And the biggest question of them all is, is why, Hashem? Why did you create this world? That's the biggest question. That is the number one greatest question out there, ladies and gentlemen. The greatest question of them all is, why did Hashem create this world? Why? And the simple answer is, to, to do good. And the not-so-simple answer is, you'll never know. We will never know. 
but God created. Another answer is that maybe ein melech am. There is no king without a nation. And yet again, what does that mean? Does God really need to be a king over somebody? Does he need to be recognized? Uh, you know, does 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 he suffer some lack? Uh, or is it coming out of an amazing love, which we can't really understand, which we can never understand? Uh, did God create an Ezra Kenegdo? Did he create a, a, a companion, which is mankind, in order to honor him and to see him and to see his greatness and his beauty? And there's many challenges to that as well. Uh, but in the deeper, deepest, deepest understanding is that if you really believe that God created the world to do good, then everything that comes down into our lives uh, is because of his will and his goodness. And that's, that's, the, that's the deepest way to understand the world. All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show. Uh, we talked about the uh, Tishrei holidays. We talked about Rabbi Moshe David Tendler. Now we talked a little bit about Parshat Bereshit uh, and, and the beginnings of the world. I want to send you lots of love and lots of blessings. I'm looking right now at the Avram Avinu Synagogue, uh, the famous synagogue that was built in 1540 by Rabbi Malkiel Ashkenazi to be close to the tomb of the forefathers and mothers. And I just want to send you guys blessings, lots of love, lots of blessings, lots of good things, and a good yor, as we say in Yiddish, a good year, a good winter, a, a, a healthy and happy winter, a good, a good winter uh, season for everybody. And Bezrat Hashem, we'll get to Hanukkah soon, and we'll get to next week, this week, Parshat Bereshit, next week, Parshat Noach. So many amazing things are happening. Bezrat Hashem, let us have the schut of, of, of living it fully, maximally, uh, and, and push hard for a Beit HaMikdash in Yerushalayim. Pray hard for it, uh, and let's pray also to be together in strength uh, and in the great blessings that God has given us and the great opportunities that He's given in our life. Lots of luck, lots of blessings. Stay tuned, stay strong, stay connected, stay part of the story. Hashem is broadcasting 24-7. This year we will hear Him even better than last year. Thank you, Hashem, for every moment and every opportunity. See you guys soon. And uh, don't be strangers. Write me an email. And lots of love. And shalom. My name is Jeremy Gimpel, and I live here in the mountains of Judea. And in these unprecedented times, I wanted to offer you a gift from the land of Israel. We've been here at the cutting edge of the Jewish return to the land of Israel. We've come to the place where King David first assembled his men and where he wrote most of the book of Psalms. We are quite literally transforming this desert mountain area into a Garden of Eden-like oasis. Watching prophecy manifest into reality, we felt called to reach out to the nations, to teach them lessons from the Bible in the original Hebrew, unlocking insights and understandings that you can only get if you read the text in its original language and from a Judean perspective. I hope to see you at the Land of Israel Fellowship. Shalom.